Amen. Good. You should have your outline there in front of you. You know, um, it's kind of like this. A lot of times on Father's Day, men get the kind of the beat down message. Whereas like a month earlier, you know, Mother's Day, the, the women get the like, you know, encouraging, edifying message. It's like, you know, the immeasurable worth of a woman on Mother's Day and deliverance from being a deadbeat dad on Father's Day. You know, it's kind of how we do. And I'm guilty as anybody. I've done that. Well, today, today we're, try, we're going to try to stay on the edifying and uplifting side for fathers. You know, because we, we just need that. You know, men, we just need that, you know, word of edification to lift us up and even to give us vision for who God wants us to be at times and, and not like beat us down for our failures, but to like pump into us. And so that's kind of where I'm at this morning with this message. And as I always do, I want to stare at God the Father and allow who he is to instruct us. And then that will encourage us into who we are as fathers. So, uh, and this works for everybody. This isn't just a word for fathers, but uh, specifically we will, we will aim at, at what it is to be a man, to be a father and, and in the image of God. And so there you have your outline and, and Roman number one, it says image bearers. And let's just look at this verse in Genesis Chapter 1, verse 27. This is such a foundational thought to human existence. When you get, when you get creation roles landed, when you understand what God did in creating man and, and how he set the table for human existence, all sorts of things become very clear as it relates to gender, as it relates to marriage, as it relates to how people are to, to live and interact. When you understand the creator created us according to a certain pattern, it settles the score on so many things that are sort of up for grabs in our, in our uh, society today. And so there's all sorts of odd conversations, I think, going on. Not odd, they're, they're obvious, uh, but they're perverse as it relates to who God is. But so, much of these, so many of these conversations can be, they can really be just answered if we will go back and anchor to what the Scripture says about how God made us. God made every single one of us. And let's look at this verse and just allow these scriptures to just uh, sink deeply into our, into our mind, our consciousness, and our heart. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Just read it again. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So he creates mankind after an archetype. An archetype is a perfect pattern. An archetype is the the one perfect pattern. God himself is the archetype. And he creates humankind with one pattern in mind, himself. That thought is, I mean, it is utterly astounding. You were made after the image of perfection. That's just a shocker. Think about I mean, the construction that goes into you, how you're formed, how you're put together, all the, all the idiosyncrasies, all the unique dynamics. All, I mean, just all the, the delicate intricacies of what it means to, to be a human being. I mean, it's, it's so fascinating how we're woven together. It's, it's hard to know where one 
facet of our being stops and where the other one starts. I mean, there's such overlay in our, in our makeup. What I mean by that is this. You are a spirit. You have a soul. You live in a body. But who knows where one stops and the other picks up? Who, who knows how that weaving together, that, that sort of triune reality of, of, human, you know, of a human being, how that even works. God does. Because God simply did this. He made you after his own image and likeness. It's fascinating to me. Every person is created after the image and likeness of God. That truth helps me to love people. And when I see unlovely people, and I feel that negative attitude that comes up in my soul. I go, oh, they're just, just, uh. and God goes, created in my image and likeness. And I go, that's, that's right. <laughs> yeah, they're just created in your image and likeness. And it helps me stay out of judgment. Because every person was made after an archetype after a pattern, a perfect pattern, and that perfect pattern is God himself. The next time you're tempted to look in the mirror or to think about yourself in a degrading, negative, or hateful way, consider this. God made you after himself as the archetype, And God does not make mistakes. Allow that truth to plumb line you a bit. Made in the image and likeness. There's not another living creature that God says this about. Not angels. So we get this title. Theologians use it. It's not a biblical term. We get this title, image bearers. And there's not another living creature in all of creation that owns that title. You are an image bearer. Men, women, children, fathers, mothers, husbands, wives, sons, daughters. You're an image bearer. You're bearing the image of the uncreated God. And what an absolute shock that is if we will just slow down for a second and think about our frame and recognize that God made us after himself, which makes a ton of sense to me when I, when I just sort of slow it down because there's a lot about myself I don't quite understand. There's a lot about people I don't get. And there's a lot going in the construction of people. There's all sorts of things and emotions and feelings and who knows, animal, mineral, vegetable. I can't tell what's going on in there. Because we're woven together so, in such an amazing way. Image bearers, image bearer. You're an image bearer. You're bearing the image of the uncreated God. And so here's how it worked with God. When he creates humanity, he doesn't look at anything else. The scripture tells us this really clearly in several places, pretty plainly, that he doesn't look at anything else to get the the, sort of the creative, you know, juices flowing. He actually looks within himself, and that's the blueprint, is his own nature, the, 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 the makeup of God himself, and that's what he forms us out of. I, just, I, just, I, I go to that place in eternity past in my mind, I just think about it, I go, oh my goodness, there you are, and there's nothing that you're looking at to inspire creativity within you, you simply look into the depths of your own glory and from that place, you actualize humanity. Wonderful. Wonderful. This is what I say in C right there. 
It's no wonder the scripture says we're fearfully and wonderfully made. Because we're made after his image and his likeness. I just want that to settle on you a minute. And I don't even want to give any qualifiers. Because here's what we tend to do. We go, well, we're made in the image and likeness of God. But sin and the devil. And sin and the devil. And now this is what we got. Let's just go back to the original truth, though, for a minute. You're made in the image and likeness of God. Let me give you something that tells of your genesis, that tells of your beginning, the image and likeness of God. When he dreamt of you, when he called your name before you were even, before your generations were even formed, he called your name in eternity past. He goes, I'm going to make them in my own image and likeness. It's who you are. It's, it's who you're to be. It's your destiny to be an image bearer of glory. You know, I mean, if we could just recognize the truth of that and then, okay, yes, sin, it mars the image. Yes, the devil is trying to twist and pervert humanity. I get that point. But justification and redemption and sanctification, ultimately glorification. Oh my goodness. This is the best deal going. Knowing him, knowing what he made us like, what he made us for, which is himself. And knowing where we're going with this, man, we're going to glory. Made in the image and likeness of God, we are fearfully and wonderfully made. We're woven together with amazing intricacy. Who understands? even how our frame works. I was doing a little reading just recently and talking you know, about scientists that study the, 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 the neural pathways in the human brain and how that thing actually works. And uh, I don't know what you do for fun in your side spare time, but uh, <clears throat> studying a little bit of neural pathways. Anyway, um, and I get to this place where I realize, uh, you know, they're talking about what the scientists have figured out and how things work and what images, you know, early images create, you know, uh, patterns in your, in, your, in your way of thinking and acting and, and behavior and all this stuff. And, and then I get to this place where they're talking about how much they actually understand about the brain function. And it's less than 10% what they, it's not less than 10% that you use. That's actually not even, that's Snopes, that one. That's not true. But they actually understand less than 10% of what the brain actually does. Think about that. Our brightest minds with all the power of, of human research and data available. And they don't even get 10% of what's even making us tick. Fearfully and wonderfully, I'd say so. Fearfully and wonderfully. Now, D, look at this. Since we're created after God's image and likeness, it follows that all of our key human relationships speak of the nature and the knowledge of God, speak of the image and likeness of God. You see what I'm saying? So he makes us in his own image and likeness. We're image bearers declaring his glory. And then what does he do? He gives us foundational relationships that ultimately also speak of his image and likeness. And this is why we have husbands and wives. This is why we have the father-child relationship. Because God could have done it any way. He doesn't, he doesn't have to make husbands and wives. He doesn't have to make family units. He doesn't have to make fathers and mothers. But what's going on is this. He's declaring of himself in every human relationship. It wasn't like, um, you know, there's Adam and Eve and they have a baby. And, and, you know, like the baby starts calling Adam Abba. And God the Father goes, hey, what a good idea. 
I'll call myself Abba too. Awesome. Way to go, baby. Like that's not, that's not this at all, guys. We're living in a context where everything is shouting to us about him. All of our foundational relationships, all of our human relationships, even even the employer-employee relationship speaks of the stewardship of the kingdom the Father gives to the Son. All of them. I wrote a little book on this called To Know Him. But this is where it's about, this is what it's about. It's about how God uses humanity to speak to us of himself. The reason why we have fathers, earthly fathers at all, is because God was trying to tell humanity something about himself. The reason why we have fathers, the reason why we have Father's Day, is because God's a father. He's a father. And that's the beauty of being an image bearer. Now, I don't want to put you under the pressure of it. I'll let the Holy Spirit do that for you. If he wants to convict an area, that's up to him. But here's what I want you to feel, fathers. I want you to feel the wonder that God would uniquely position you, choose you, and afford you the blessing of taking the title and the position that he has over human creation and having that title and position in your family. Think of the wonder, the wonder that it is that God gives people his same title to tell of himself through us. I mean, that should just, that should just give you a little like, wow, whoa. Something like that gives me a little tremble. That he creates the relationship, the father child relationship, because he wants to speak of himself. And then he uniquely gifts you with children. He gives you children. I've got four kids. Most of y'all know that 17, 15, 13. Those are all boys. Yeah, y'all need to be praying. You feel that intercession. <laughs> 17, 15, 13, all boys. And then I got, in the bonus round, we got our girl. The five-year-old little snookums. I mean, she is sugar and spice and everything nice. Those boys are all gristle and mud and rocks. And she is sugar and spice and everything nice. And, but I'll just tell you, there's just something, I, I, it hits my heart when I, I just step back from the human experience of it all. You know, because the human experience is up and down and crazy. And they, you know, they turn to teenagers and they just all lose their mind. And you're like, spend about the next 10 years trying to put that back together somehow. And, but, um, <laughs> feeling that. The, uh. So, but what happens is in the middle of all the crazy, I will step back from the human experience of it and I'll just go image bearer. You gave me the blessing, the blessed responsibility to have your same title in my home. This means something. It means something. And, and, and there's a reason why, just, just, hear, just hear me out. There's a reason why in popular comedy that men are doofuses as portrayed in the home. Because there's an attack on the image of God. So men are portrayed like these just absolute dorks who don't know anything who all they care about is their, you know, their game and their beer and their couch and just, and there's a reason why, guys, and it's because there's an attack on the image of God. And then that plays out 
and the attack and the breakdown of the family, it's an attack on the image of God. Of course the enemy is after the, the family. Of course he's after the fathers. Why? Because if he can mar the image of God, he wins. At least that's a victory for him. He doesn't ultimately win, but he, that's a victory for him to, to destroy the image. That's why there's an attack on men. That's why there's an attack on fatherhood. That, that's why when, when societies, they break down, they break down because the nuclear core of the society, the family is in disarray. It's breaking down. It's because the enemy is attacking that because he's ultimately after the image of God. 2 Corinthians 10, it gives us the exact same. It says that, that he's, he's exalting things against the knowledge of God. All the strongholds, all the attacks of the enemy are against the knowledge of God. And one of the chief ways that our children see God is by seeing the God image in the family, the father. Now, moms, you're not left out because God created them male and female. And so I feel like this. I feel like he, he gives us the father and the father and he gives us the Holy Spirit and the mother. That's why your mom knew all that stuff about you all the time. He's revelatory. So, this whole transaction is just fantastic. It's something that requires thought on our part. It's something that, that should cause men, should cause us to step back and consider. And we should really value and honor the position of father. And I mean, as men, we should honor it. God, if God grants you the blessing of being a dad, He's chosen you to speak of himself. Do you see that? You see it. Do you, do you guys? If he's given you the blessing of being a dad, the point is he's chosen you to speak of himself. It's powerful. It's powerful. And he didn't, he didn't choose you to make you a failure. He chose you because... He believed he could get something of his image and nature and the knowledge of him through you and an expression to those little ones that he gave you. And I, you know, I don't know what you think is important in life, but I, I look at my life and, and I would just tell you, directing this mission base isn't the most important thing to me. I, what, what's most important is firstly my relationship with Jesus, then my relationship with my wife, and then my relationship with my children. Because I look at those four, and the three that are brain damaged just keep praying for them, but I look at those four, and I just, they're not here this morning, so I can just talk all about them. But I know, I bless them, my kids, I, we're best friends. Anybody that knows that knows that I'm best friends with them. So I must be brain damaged too. All right, just let me stay on track. But when I look at those four, when I look at those four, I realize God chose me to be a picture of himself to them. It does something to me. He entrusted me with them. And, and you know, I'm not the best example. I, I know you'd, you'd probably like the, the preacher Sam saying, hey, I'm the best. I'm not. I lose my temper, I say things wrong, I forget stuff. There are two words that have meant so much in my expression of fatherhood to my kids. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, guys, I'm trying. And they go, oh, dad, we know, we know you're trying. We know you're trying. But there, there's just something about having that picture. Actually, one of my sons is here. Sorry, bud. Love you. <laughs> just realized he was playing drums this morning. I'm sorry. <laughs> there it is. Perfect example. It's about how it goes. Talk a good game. Walk goofily. Stumble through. 
but there's something that settles on my soul when I think about my, my guys and my girl, and I just, I'm, I'm so, I just feel so connected to this truth that when they look at me, there's something about God that they're supposed to see. I want to live in that, you know. So here's the thing. We understand that we're image bearers. We understand that the father relationship is gifted by God to humanity to declare of himself. We get that point. But there's this other thing that it's, it's so askew. And every time I teach on the father heart, people just get, they get so touched over it. And it's because we don't comprehend the father's heart toward us. We have all sorts of um, different images in our mind of what we think God is like, what his heart is like, and what we think his, his chief sort of disposition is towards us. And, and because we have odd uh, pictures in our mind about uh, what God is like, we interact with God in a real funny way. And, and so look at, look at this verse, because I want to talk about the Father's disposition towards us. Look at this verse, Psalm 103, verse 13. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows how we are formed. He remembers that we are dust. The New King James uses the word pities instead of compassion. But basically all the other modern translations use compassion. That word that's translated compassion is a really it's just a, a, an intricate, detailed word. It has so many different angles to it. When I was in Israel a couple of weeks ago, I, I had a couple of conversations with believers in the land, and they just said, you know, there's so often that the Hebrew word gives you so much more depth than what the English word gives you on, on so many different ones. Well, this is one of those words, undoubtedly, because this, this word translated compassion, we, we kind of get it that compassion means there's sort of this this tenderness, you kind of get that the person's just, you know, they're going to stumble and you're just going to be kind to them. But it's, it's way deeper than that. This word compassion, it means to love deeply. Like there's this, this deep place in the heart of love for the, the child. And, and then there's this automatic inclination to be merciful when they mess up, just to be merciful. My daughter... When she messes up, man, it's hard to actually bring the hammer. <laughs> you know, and my sons are like, Dad, you need to give her the rod. <laughs> well, you gave us the rod. <laughs> Guys, she's just five. <laughs> we were getting the rod when we were five. Come on, Dad. You're getting soft. <laughs> But there's this natural, like, I just want to be merciful. She didn't mean to. <laughs> Baby girl didn't mean to do that. <laughs> there's just that natural sensation of wanting to be merciful. That's what this word is about. It, it's, it's deep love, the, the, the inclination to mercy, and then this this idea of tender affection, the word literally means, and just hear me out, it literally means fondle. Now, we have a bad understanding of what that word is because of our society being so perverse. But what it actually means, originally means to hold gently, tenderly, and kind of rub. The father has compassion. What do you think he's like? He has compassion. Loves from a deep place. His inclination towards you is merciful. He wants to hold you. That's the idea. And, and I think because our internal image of God can be askew, because of you know, our experiences with fathers and father figures, sometimes that internal image of God is just, it's just off. That when you hear a message like this, and, that, and you hear me say that God wants to be merciful, He wants to be tender and affectionate. He loves you deeply. 
you hear it and the sound, is, it sounds true, but what happens is this, the sound goes in, it plays in your heart, and then there's this alternate sound that's playing in your heart. And there's this internal dissonance. Do, am I making sense? And so the, the sound of truth is playing, the sound of God's love, His tender mercy, it's playing in your heart. But then there's this other sound of this alternate, alternate image of God that's playing, and there's this dissonance, there's this clash. And because that other sound, that, that, that sound that's askew from the truth, it's what we're used to. We, we, t- we tend to settle down to that instead of allowing that to become tuned to the sound of truth. And I know tons of believers that they can mentally assent with their brain, God loves me, yes, I know. The Bible tells me so, I know it. But internally, there is no security. And there's no confidence in the the love of God. And it plays out in anxiety and stress and and, and an orphan mentality, always trying to get for yourself. And and it's because that that deep place in your soul that, that resonates the sound of love and truth, it's telling you that God doesn't really love you. And that place has got to get tuned in to truth. And I'll just tell you this, as a preacher, For years, for years, I preached the message of God's love with an internal dissonance in my own soul. I said, well, how'd you get over that? I just stayed with it. And I just showered myself in the truth from the scripture until my mind and my soul began to get renewed in truth And then one day, I don't remember when exactly, but one day I was talking about God's delight in me and his love for me, and there wasn't a dissonance, there was a harmony on the inside. And I felt my soul just settled. When I see people who have problems with worry and fear and anxiety, and and, and they're, they're, they're just stressed out by everything, I understand there's all sorts of pressures in this world. There's a storm raging. But we have a picture of a son in the middle of a storm, asleep in a boat. Why? Because he's fully confident in the Father's love. And that's what it looks like to know the love of the Father. Storms can be raging. Things can be blowing up around you. And you know, you know, you just know. He's got me. He's got me. As a father has compassion on his children, the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. The Lord feels this way about you. And he gives us the father image to declare of who he is. Look at Psalm 16, verse 3. As for the saints who are on the earth, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. Take note of the words, all my delight. That word can also be all my desire. It gives us this picture of this, that what God cares about is his kids. It's you. It's what he cares about. He delights in you. He desires you, not what you can do for him. He delights in you. He just wants to be with you. I was up with my daughter the other day and I was, I was just praying a little bit, just, just kind of praying in tongues a little bit. And she just goes, she goes, what are you praying for, dad? And I said, uh, not nothing. I'm not really praying for anything. She goes, well, when you pray, you have to ask for something. She's really smart. And I said to her, I said, um, well, it's kind of like you and me. You're not always asking me for stuff. I said, you know, sometimes you just want to tell me what's on your heart or you just want to talk because you just want to hang out. I said, that's kind of how I feel right now. I just want to talk to the Lord because I just want to hang out. She goes, oh. And that's how it is, beloved. There's a relational 
a deep relational desire that the Father has for us. And that's why I even had that desire in myself to pray. Because the Father was tugging on my heart and saying, hey, what you doing? Sometimes I'll just ask my kids, I go, what's going on? And, and sometimes they go, what? I go, nothing. So what's going on? Well, what do you mean? Well, I, I don't mean anything. I just, how are you? I'm fine. It, but it's because there's a desire, a relational desire. That's how the father is. He's not, we, our paradigm of prayer can be so odd that we think we always have to intercede or ask or make requests. There's this thing called abiding that Jesus taught. That just means remain. To say it in a modern way means, hey, just be with me, okay? Just stay with me. All my delight, the father said, is delight upon his children. In other words, we're what brings him pleasure. A lot of people think God's disposition is one of displeasure and disappointment, but the scriptures are clear. He loves us. He takes pleasure in us. He is tenderly affectionate towards us. And this is why John explodes in 1 John 3. He goes, behold, what manner of love is this? That we would be called the children of God. Because we have a father who's tender and he's affectionate and he's gentle and he cares and he hears and he listens to all of our stuff. He listens. He never ignores and he never reacts. He's never caught off guard. He's never shocked or surprised. Somehow even when we sin, we imagine that heaven just went into like, you know, four alarm frenzy. Oh my gosh, can you believe it? God goes, well, I kind of can because I kind of see tomorrow just like I see yesterday at the same time. I am not surprised at all. We imagine that God's so put off by every one of our weaknesses and every one of our sins that we just got to like work our way back. And instead, we find Jesus talking about the father who runs to the prodigal when the prodigal turns. So our father is, guys. See, my prayer is this, that our dads would get harmony in their internal sound that's instructing them about who God is. And that we, as a community, that we would find ourselves confident in God's love as a father. We would, we would just bask in the wonder of what it is that he'd even give us the same titles. He would, he would even des- d- describe himself through our little weak lives. We would just recognize how deeply interested and, and how, how, how deeply connected God is to us. How much he wants us. All right, flip on over. Last, last points here. I know, I get it. A lot of people have challenges with their internal image of God because of the, you know, fathers and, and father figures they've had in their life. I, I get that. And so the question always comes, well, you know, I didn't have that great of an experience. And so there's something happening in me that's difficult to overcome. I, I get that. I'm, I'm going to get to that point in just a moment. Here's the thing. A fathering, uh, the father relationship, a fathering relationship, father and a son, father and a daughter. It's a unique relationship of instruction and impartation. Now, that's not what it's only about, but it has a really unique thing. There's a transaction that's going on that's really unusual. Uh, you know, when we think of an, instruction, an instructor and to those being instructed, we think of one person who has the knowledge and the other person is receiving the knowledge, right? You go to school to learn from your teacher, Right? The teacher's going to tell you something. You go through training at work to learn from your trainer how to do your job, right? So the, the one with the knowledge teaches you the information. And so as, as fathers, 
we are to instruct and train and teach our children. But what a, an unusual and unique training environment. And the, and the reason why is this. When we are training and teaching, we are learning at the same level. In other words, I think about what I've taught my kids, but all the while I've been taught by them and by God what it means to be a father. And so there's this unusual in and out of the, of the father and the mother. That role has a unique experience of receiving and giving revelation and knowledge and, and impartation. And so it, it, it kind of works like this. We love and instruct our children and we impart to them our ways and our nature. It's, it's really an interesting transaction because just as we're made in the image and likeness of God, God actually entrusts human fathers to actually impart to their kids and their kids actually have the father's fingerprints all over them. It's, it's honestly, it's one of the, um, it's one of the, amazing pleasures of being a dad. And they say, some people say, well, Mike, I was talking to your, your kid and, and man, they said something that just reminded me just of you. And it's just fascinating. God would put me in that role to have that kind of an impact on someone. And so, so your children end up in, in a similar way that we bear the image and likeness of God the Father. Your children end up bearing a bit of your image and likeness. And so here's what happens. There's a, a, a positive imprint that can happen in a, in a child. And it's, it gives that child something to base the, the relationship, their relationship with God on. In other words, a father who, who represents God the Father can give that child a starting place of what God's really like. And I say this and see, I said, you know, because God's first disposition towards his kids, it's pleasure and delight. I believe this, a father's first responsibility towards your children is to enjoy them. It's to enjoy them. And that teaches you, teaches your kid more about God than, than virtually anything else. If they see that you enjoy them. Because that's the way the Father is towards us. Now, somebody would say to me, well, what about me? I, you know, I have a kind of a negative impression. I don't have that positive impression. I have the, sort of a negative. Well, do you remember before we had digital everything? They had these cameras that actually used this stuff called film. <laughs> remember that stuff? Anybody remember going, through, going to the drive-through Kodak? And you, you turn your camera roll in and they, 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 you got the negatives in the little envelope with the pictures. Yeah. Dude, that took like a week. <laughs> Think of that through. You know, I mean, do you remember? You'd go to the picture place, you'd turn in your roll, you'd get your camera back and all the pictures would be jacked up and you'd be like, dude, we got to do it all over again. Like my finger was in front of the camera the whole time. <laughs> you didn't even know that till a week later. If you're 20 or under, you're going, what? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, I can remember with my mom going to the Kodak place and there's a drive-through and we put our stuff in one week and the next week we went back to do groceries. We'd get our stuff out and then you'd have to look and see if the pictures were any good. But you had these little, <clears throat> you had the negatives, which was actually the roll that was in the camera that you turned in and they cut them into little like four to six image little pieces. And those negatives were weird. They had the opposite, they had the opposite um, image of what was in the picture. So this is how it used to work. I don't know how it works now. It's, yeah, it was a negative image of the actual picture that was developed. And what I realized is this. Some people in their life, they have a positive image in their human father and father figures. And they can say, well, my dad is kind of, he's kind of like this. And oh, that's what God's like. Oh, no, no human dad's perfect. Every one of us has got warts and issues. So the kid, you know, your kid always has to get over a little father something, something. But, 
so, so, but a positive image, you go, oh, it's just a little something I can start with about what God's like. But see, then the person, a lot of times the person that has a negative image, they go, oh, see, I'm just, God didn't love me. He didn't give me a, a good experience. I go, no, no, no. He gave you a negative so that you could develop the real picture. Amen. And, and the thing is, no matter what the experience you had with your father or your father figures, you can derive from that picture what, what he's like or what he's not like. And sometimes the most powerful is finding out what he's not like. Oh, he's not like that? No, he's like this. I've watched it explode in people's hearts when the truth of who God is alights on them the first time they realize, oh, he's not this way. No, he always keeps his word every time. Boom. Just because you have a negative doesn't mean you can't know God deeply. You've just got to interpret what you have in your hand. Some of it's a positive, some of it's a negative. So I would just wrap up with this because I wanted to explain this unique experience of being a father. That um, when it comes to knowing God, and dads, just listen to me right now. When it comes to knowing God, and, and I put nearly in the notes, but I really can't tell the difference. But I say, my experience as a father has nearly instructed me more than studying the scripture and, and understanding what the Bible says about God, nearly. But I honestly, I can't tell the difference because what would happen is this. I would have verses that were in my heart and then I would have an experience as a dad and then that would shed light on the verses. And I'll just wrap it up with this. So four kids... I've told the story before, but I'll just tell it again. <clears throat> Four kids, and um, I had, you know, my first son, uh, you know, I, I thought, you know, I was, I was excited. I'm just going to have a Rambo prophet, <laughs> athlete, you know. I mean, I'm going to have, like, the merger <laughs> of, like, every kind of epic action hero. And, uh, and so when... <laughs> I had it kind of set up in my mind, like when he's born, I am going to like prophesy. Like he's going he's gonna to come out and I'm going to be like, Thus saith the Lord, mighty man of God. And just, I'm just going to let an oracle out, you know, just fill that room with glorious prophetic declarations. It's going to be, you know, he's going to be Rambo and he's going to be, you know, like, he's going to be like Finny, all in one. Just going to go for this. And so uh, I remember when, when all that was going down, my wife, my wife is the most epic, epic when it comes to, and, and bless every woman that's ever had a baby, bless you. Because I just can't get it. I mean, it's just unbelievable what's going on there. My wife works, she worked as a teacher of middle schoolers to the day she had a baby. Calls me from school. Um, I think something's happening. What? You're at school. I'm coming home. What? Do you need me to come? No, I'll drive. I'm like, what? This little sweet, you know, sweet woman is just like this boss, like, and having babies. And um, drives home, end up in the hospital. I'm a little frantic. She's got her, she's got that down. So, uh, midwife's there. We got the worship music going. You know, I want the background music because it's going to be epic. We got the video cameras happening. I'm about to prophesy. And man, just something happens. And I, and I, I did not have a real revelation of, of the tender heart of the father at this time. I was, I mean, I really just a, a revival preacher, repentance and sin and hell's hot and don't go there. You know, you're going to hell. And, and so I'm just in there, and I'm like, ooh, I'm about, to, I'm about to drop the bomb on him. 
and that baby comes out. And that little head of hair. Mm. And you know, they, when they come out, they're really not together very good. It's like jello mold with skin wrapped around it. They're not much to look at. People are like, oh, he's so cute. I'm like, don't lie. Not that cute. But he comes out and uh, midwife's got him. This is my moment. I'm going to release the oracle. And the midwife holds him up. She goes, what do you think about him, dad? And I go, he's beautiful. (laughs) And I just, I'm I'm just a bumbling, molten mess. Just didn't come out. He's beautiful. That's it. That was the oracle. And and so (laughs) here's what happened. Something ignited in my own heart. Because no matter what my plan was to be epic and tough and da-da-da-da, something of the image-bearing nature of God went off on the inside of me. And that which came out of my mouth was an oracle. It's about the way God feels about all of us. The Father says you're beautiful. The Father loves you, son. He loves you, daughter. He's tender. Beyond your wildest dreams, he's tender. He's gentle. He's affectionate. He just wants to hold you and love you. So I just, listen, dads, I just want to fill your heart with encouragement about the Father's love for you. We get it. We're not perfect dads. Not one of us is. But every chance you get with your kids, you have an opportunity to speak into them the nature and the knowledge of the Father and the way He thinks about them. I just want to encourage you. Just go for it. You can't be sappy enough. You, you can't be tender enough. There's this wrong expression we have of men and macho and tough. And I, and I believe there is this sort of adventure thing in men. I get that piece. But there is such a gentle God of all comforts, a Father of all mercies, that all of our hearts are longing to know. And Dad, it's your place to be that with your kids. I just want to fill your sails with wind to be able to do that for your children. Amen? Amen, amen. Let's stand.